Heavenly Father, as we continue to go through the book of James, would you continue to speak to us? Lord, let us have open hearts and minds to hear what is often a, a challenging message in James. Lord, but let us be open to be changed, uh, to be transformed, to be encouraged. Lord, equip us in all areas of life to live kingdom first, every day of every week of every year, for the honor and glory of our King. In his name we pray, amen. Please be seated. The end of April of this year, I went to a conference, and while I was there, I did what I usually do at conferences, I hid. Um, I'm not good at schmoozing, and so I tend to just kind of find a place somewhere and get some time alone, but at one point I had walked out during one of the uh, things that was going on inside, and there was a gentleman standing there. Um, he looked to be a little older than I was, uh, maybe 50, mid-50s, something like that. And uh, I struck up a conversation, or actually he struck up a conversation because I wouldn't have talked to him, he's a stranger. But he started talking to me, so I continued talking to him. And as we were talking, he was telling me a little bit about his church. Um, he had taken over a church a year and a half ago or so, something like that, smaller, kind of what it sounded like, smaller church, um, original founding pastor. Um, and as he's talking... And as I'm looking at him, um, he's kind of a thin guy, a little nerdy, which, you know, for me to say that, I'm kind of nerdy too, but he appeared even nerdy to me. And, and as I'm listening to his story and I'm thinking about his age, here's what went through my head. This poor guy. You know, he doesn't, he just, he wasn't good enough, and so, you know, he got pushed off into some small church and... Um, you know, because when you're that age, you got to, I mean, you should be big church kind of thing. And there's all this stuff going on in my head. Um, well, we finished talking, and the next morning, I go to the time of teaching, and it was on preaching. And the guy who was supposed to preach ended up having to go to the emergency room. So he's not there, um, but his name is Kevin Miller, and so I look him up. And he was an editor for Christianity Today in the preaching part. In fact, he started something online about it. And, you know, I'm reading about all this stuff about him and everything. And then finally, I see a picture of him. And it's the skinny nerd that I was talking to. <laughs> that I'm like, yeah, look how cool I am. And you, the, oh my goodness. I just kind of, nobody knew. But I just, I sunk down in my chair. And I felt so utterly foolish you ever felt that way? You ever said, done, or thought something, and you're like, I am a total moron. I cannot believe how foolish I feel right now. You know, and nobody even knew it, but I still felt it inside. I'm just like, oh, God. We do not like to feel foolish. Amen? We will go out of our way to not feel foolish. Um, we'll do whatever we can to make us look like we're smarter, wiser than we actually are. How many times have you shared with somebody else when you got a good deal on something? Especially if you think you somehow had a hand in it. 
You wouldn't believe what I got this car for. You wouldn't believe what I, I mean, we just, we love to feel smart, wise. You know, like we got the upper hand, and yet we hate feeling like we don't have the upper hand. I mean, it just, ugh. All of that is good. But as we continue in James today, he's gonna talk about wisdom. Now, he's already talked about wisdom. If you go all the way back to the beginning, our second sermon was about wisdom. He's bringing it back up again. But he's gonna say something a little different. Back there, it was about where does wisdom come from? Here, it's about not are you wise. Now, we'll see in a moment, he's gonna ask the question to start off, who among you is wise and has understanding? He's gonna start that way. But I think James would say something like this. Likely everybody in this room has a certain amount of wisdom, a certain amount of understanding. James wants to address not whether you are wise, but where your wisdom comes from, what kind of wisdom it is. He has a very specific kind of wisdom. Here's what he does. Um, Look at James chapter 3. We're starting right where we left off last week in verse 13. James chapter 3. And and here's what he starts with. Who is wise and understanding among you? Now, he started chapter 3 and verse 1 by saying not many of you should presume to be teachers. And that was a position a position of authority, a position of prestige. And if there's nothing wrong with being a teacher, but he said, don't, don't take it lightly. And these positions carry a certain responsibility. And then he goes off and he starts talking about how powerful words are, what we can do to each other with these words. But you get to the end and he does this. And, and Jeremy did a great job talking about these images. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine bear produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Notice he doesn't offer any explanation for what any of that actually is. They're all images. He throws them out there, and he kind of leaves them, and then he asks this question. Who is wise and understanding among you? And here's what I'm imagining is happening. Those things are said or read or proclaimed and people are thinking about, okay, I got this image of this salt water and fresh water, and then James goes, now, who is wise and understanding among you? And somebody's like, oh, yeah, I get it. I get that image. I know what you're talking about. I understand what the tongue does. I get it. Yeah, I am. Oh, I am too. Yeah, I understand. And then he does this. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. All right, when we think of wisdom, At least when I think of it, you tell me if this relates to you at all. When I think of wisdom, I kind of have an image of like an old man with a white beard that like you come to to get advice. Like somebody who's wise, who is understanding. Like I'm going to come and talk to you about my life and you're going to be able to help me see things. I mean, that's kind of the image I get. Wisdom is often thought of by a certain kind of intellectual experience and intelligence and knowledge and all of this. And here's James where he says, all right, who's wise and understanding? Okay, I am, sure, great. By his good conduct. 
Can I tell you how rarely I associate wisdom with conduct? Now, yes, whatever I do with somebody else's wisdom that they gave to me would be conduct, but I don't necessarily jump immediately to, by conduct, you'll show your wisdom. And yet, should we be surprised that James would go there? Just think about the book so far. I mean, think about all of the last chapter. The whole thing was, faith alone is dead. If you don't have work showing your faith, it's what he's been doing throughout this whole thing. Well, now he's doing it with wisdom. He's told us way back in chapter one, ask God for wisdom. But now he says, if you have wisdom, it's by your good conduct or behavior, is what that Greek word means, it's by your good behavior. It's how you act that's gonna show whether or not you're really wise. Now, here's the question. You can have wisdom from below, or you can have wisdom from above. You could also have both. They're not necessarily always mutually exclusive. However, James wants to press home one point this morning. If you don't have wisdom from above, it's like having no works. You have dead wisdom. It's not worth it. And he's going to go on to describe to us what wisdom from below is like and then what wisdom from above is like. And, And the descriptions are how we would behave. It's how we would live out that wisdom. Now, what he says here is, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. All right, that's a general comment. I want you to show that you are wise, and I want you to do it by works in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness is a word that Jesus used when he talked about, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest, for I am meek and lowly of heart. Right, that's the kind of meekness that he's talking about. Let's see your works done like that. Okay, but let's get very specific. All right, number one, wisdom from below. Here's what it is. Verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy, if you want what others have and you are dead set on getting it or when you don't have it, it causes bitterness in you. It causes that thing to rise up where you're like kind of getting mean and grouchy and I want to get what you have and you have bitter jealousy or selfish ambition. And in this way, I think the best picture of this, sadly, whether this is always accurate or not, just think about it. What you think of a politician is what this word means. When you are more concerned about getting something for you by any means necessary than you are about those around you. Selfish ambition. In your hearts, then do not boast and be false to the truth. And here's what that means. You might have understood my images. You may know how to swindle somebody out of something. You might be wise in the world, You might be able to look at a situation and figure out, okay, I look over here, they're doing this, doing this. Okay, if I make this action, that'd be my best move in this thing. You may have all of that. 
But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, don't be boasting that you have the wisdom of God. You can't. They don't work together. You may have what he's about to describe. I mean, listen to what he says about that. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. Again, you might gain something from it. I mean, you might gain a position. You might gain power. You might gain money. You may have great success. And to be honest, you might even find a certain amount of happiness by exercising that. But don't you dare think that it is wisdom from above. If you think that's coming from God, if you're like, oh, Lord, thank you for providing this, you are dead wrong. That wisdom, according to James, it is earthly as opposed to heavenly. It is unspiritual, which is fleshly, demonic. Demonic. And this is really bad wisdom here, overall. This is wisdom that by its nature is about me. It is selfish. It doesn't really care that much about those around me. It's not interested in peace, which is what he's gonna describe the next one. It's interested in me being lifted up. Now, it is my guess that nobody in here naturally thinks of themselves that way. None of us would describe ourselves as bitterly jealous and filled with selfish ambition. But I would challenge us to think, especially as we move into the wisdom from above, if we're not meeting the wisdom from above, what parts of the wisdom from below really are in us, whether we want to acknowledge it or not? Here's an image for you of what it would look like to exercise wisdom from below. So this past week, Wednesday night, it was raining, and we got out, and we were going into the school by Wednesday night. Now, you know how tennis shoes in particular, when the bottoms are wet and you're walking on ground like this, what do they sound like? Squeak, 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 squeak. Well, let me just tell you, I have new tennis shoes, and they squeak as if this were like an Olympic competition. I am louder than anyone around me. In fact, as I'm walking in, you, this is my daughter's orchestra concert, and so we walk in, and we're a little bit late because we have like 26 kids now, and it takes a while to get out the door. And as we get to the school, it's this long hallway that goes to the cafeteria, and then the cafeteria is kind of off to the side, but right in front of us as you walk down this long hallway, that's the advanced orchestra, which is what my daughter is in, and they're sitting there. The other orchestra's already on stage. And so we walk in, I hold the door, my family goes in, they're all kind of going, squeak, 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 squeak. And then I walk in, squeak, 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 like all the way down the hallway. And so we're walking and I'm thinking, I am louder than the orchestra is. Like, you're not going to hear them, you're going to hear my squeaking. And we're walking in, and as we get, my daughter's in the front row. And of course, my daughter, my wife is carrying the new baby. And so as they walk in, like, every little seventh and eighth grader on the front row is going, oh, oh. And my daughter, being very proud, is like, that's my little brother, that's my little brother, that's my mom right there. Those are my two little brothers. And then she stops. (laughs) 
squeak, squeak, squeak. Oh, yeah? So I just walked up and gave her a great big hug. And I squeaked away. Squeak, squeak, squeak. All the way up. All right, I didn't actually do that. Um, but when we sat and we listened to the orchestra, they have to play together. They have to play perfectly together. This section has to play all together. And they work on it. They work on intonation. They work on bowing. They work on, I mean, all of it, so that all of it is together. And this section over here is doing the same thing. And this section over here is doing the same thing. And this section over here is doing the same thing. And do you know what it would be like if one of them decided this is about me? I mean, just picture in the middle of a symphony, like one violinist decides to stand up and just start playing whatever they want to play. Now, they might play something really cool that gets a, con gets a congregation, gets an audience to go, oh, look at that, they're really cool. But what's happening to the rest of the orchestra when they're doing that? It's completely off. You're like, wait, why aren't they following? What's wrong with them? Because in an orchestra, you cannot have selfish ambition. In fact, as you're preparing for something, if you begin going, well, you know what, I wanna sound the best, so I'm gonna mess up somebody else's music, I'm gonna mess up some of their playing time, what have you done to you when you do that? You've messed up you, right? Because when you get to the orchestra concert, everybody has to be playing together. And now they can't play as well because you screwed them up. Sure, you play great, but you don't sound as good because they don't sound as good. You cannot have selfish ambition. You can't just be thinking about you. The wisdom from below that is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic thinks about me. And it creates discord. It creates division. It rips people apart. Relationships, families, organizations, it rips them apart because it's about me. It's about my preferences or my hurts or my desires or my fame or whatever it is. It's about me. And it tears people apart. And James would say, look, I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how much wisdom you think you have. I don't care how you can get to the top. That doesn't matter. Because if that's the kind of wisdom you're using, you may be successful in the world, but you will fail with God. Because he's not interested in you being lifted up, especially at the expense of the people around you. He's interested in us, which is why, look what he says about the wisdom that is from above. Verse 16 for where jealousy and ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. It comes along with it. You can't help it. Because if I gotta lift me up, that means I gotta put you down. But the wisdom from above, it's first pure. Um, that word harkens all the way back to our first sermon where we were talking about being undivided. Um, this, this here is an undivided loyalty. Um, this wisdom is committed to something. 
right? It's got that, it's gonna go through, it's gonna follow through. This wisdom here is pure. Then, and just look at what he says about it. It is peaceable, it is gentle, it is open to reason. What you can't see in Greek, he's got a little word play here. All three of these words begin with an E in Greek. And all of these words deal with relationship. All of these words are about how you and I, the two of us, work things out. They are all about the way that I, I mean this, one, this word here, open to reason, what it means is you're not so entrenched in the letter of the law that you put that over a person. It is all about the opposite of the discord that the wisdom from below creates. Keep going. Full of mercy, which we know from a little while back when James talks about mercy, this is faith in action. This is loving your neighbor. It's full of that, full of mercy and good fruits. Instead of producing disorder in every vile practice, it produces things that are good and holy and right. It is impartial and it is sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. When this kind of wisdom is being exercised, when our good conduct or good behavior, especially as it's expressed relationally. I notice everything he's talking about, it's relationship. As it's expressed relationally, then we are showing whether our wisdom is from below or from above. When you and I, when you and the person next to you, when you and a, and a family member, when you and a friend, when you can work things out because you are not so entrenched in you, but you can instead be open and gentle and peaceable, that is when you're exercising wisdom from above. I read a story this week. A young man named Jordan was getting bullied at school. And the story stuck out to me because my own son came home today, or this past week, and let me know something was going on with him. He was also being bullied at school. And, and I can tell you that I'm, so I have a daughter who is 12, but she's the size of a 16-year-old, and I have a son who is seven, and he's the size of a four-year-old. I'm worried about my seven-year-old. I mean, he's the smallest kid in the class, and he's a boy, and I'm just ready for him to get picked on. And so he comes home and he tells me about it, and I'm like, oh, and I'm, I'm all right, I told Aaron like that night, I'm like, let's put him in karate. And I'm just, I'm just ready. Like, my kid's gonna have this his whole life, so let's just take care of it. So I'm reading this story, and I'm like personally invested because my son also just got bullied. Well, this dad got angry. Boy, I understand that. I mean, as he's, tell, as he's describing the story, I'm just ready to go to that school and lay into this kid. I mean, I'm angry. But instead of acting on the anger, this dad went to the school, and apparently after school at one point, he picked the kid up from school, along with his kid, took him for a ride, 
and began to talk to the bully. And as he talked to him, he found out that the bully was being bullied. In fact, the reason the bully was being bullied is the family was so hard off. They were homeless. He couldn't afford new clothing. He wasn't showering regularly. And kids at school were making fun of him for smelling and what he was wearing. And and so he took his bullying and he went after Jordan. And so this dad, after hearing the story, took this kid shopping, bought him new clothes. He also, in order to help the family, by the way, when the story got out, like it has gone viral, it has 4.5 million views. It's been on multiple news sites now. You know what the dad did with his notoriety? He started a GoFundMe page for the kid and his family. He wanted to raise $7,000 to help them out. Three days, it's been up. They've raised $22,000 as of this morning. Their kids are having a sleepover this weekend. The dad owns a tattoo parlor, and the kids come, and now they're playing video games together after school at the tattoo parlor. Now, this guy, as far as I can tell, I went and did a bunch of research. You guys know me by now. Whenever I read these stories, I go and try and find out what I can on the people. And as far as I can tell, this guy is not a Christian. But my gosh, he is working with wisdom from above. That's what it looks like. Instead of rightfully just defending his kid, like he's in the right, you should not be doing that. Instead of letting the anger win, this dad goes to this bully, finds out his story, begins to understand him. And now there's a relationship between his child that was bullied and the bully and the dad and the other family. And he's gone further to make peace. He started a GoFundMe page to help this family. He used his own fame to help them. That is what wisdom from above is like. That's what we're called to. And we should not be surprised in the least that wisdom from above would be so focused on relationship, on peace, on shalom. Because I want you to think about God and the primary thing that God is about. God is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is relationship within himself. And all the way through the Bible, what has it been about? When he came and he rescued them out of Egypt, it was out of his love for them. And when he gave them the commandments, if you ever think that the Ten Commandments were God just going, all right, here's all the rules that you need to follow if you want to be my people. If you think that's what it was about, you're missing the point. The commandments were relational. The entire way they were relational. It was a covenant. How do we relate to each other? In the same way that you made a covenant with your spouse, you have an unwritten covenant with your kids, you have a covenant with your employer, it was a relationship is what the, the whole commandments were about. How do the people relate to a holy God? And if you doubt that, what happened when they couldn't keep them? 
He didn't give up. He didn't go, well, you broke all of them, go to jail, and you're just lost. What he did is he sent his son because the relationship was so important to him that he sent his son to rescue them when they couldn't rescue them. It was all relational. It's always been that way. On the last night of of Jesus' life, when he's with his friends, and they're getting ready to celebrate the Passover, and he says to them, I'm gonna give you a new commandment. Again, it's the relationship. Please don't think of this as like one more rule. Follow this rule, or you can't be with me. It's not one more rule. And he says, I want you to love one another in the same way I loved you. How did he love you? Exactly as you are. With all your faults, with every mistake that you've made, with every mistake you continue to make, that's how he loved you. And he did whatever it took. He was the one, even though we did the offense, correct? Has Jesus ever offended you? Now he may have offended you because you didn't like something he did, but he has never brought an offense against you. He has never sinned against you. And yet he did all the work to heal the relationship. Why? Because it's all about relationship. Because he's always wanted his people. And he wants his people to be like him. When we come to communion, do you know what the primary thing is? The primary image of communion is unity. That is why we do confession. We confess our sins, and then we receive absolution, right? That's so that our relationship with God is clean. Then what do we do? We offer peace to each other, why? So that our relationship is clean, because when we come to the table, it's all about unity. Now this table represents his sacrifice. What did he sacrifice for? Can I tell you that his primary goal, and just let me finish this before you get offended, was not you as an individual. It was us as his body. That all along, the plan, the goal, the desire was us. It was to build a body of believers that would love one another as he loved them. And you've seen the way he loved us. That's how we're supposed to love each other. To the point that as he is praying to the Father, right before he's gonna die, let me just read you some of his last words before he goes to the cross. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Okay, this goes right to what he gave them in the commandments. Church, when we're divided, when we're not one, we're not representing the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're not representing the very commandment that he gave to them, love one another as I have loved you. By this, all men will know you're my disciples. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, 
so that, here it is again, the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Are you getting how important the relationship is? The unity, the oneness, the peace among us as the body. And so when James comes along and he says wisdom from above, it is about peace and gentleness and open to reason. It's about working through things together. It's about never giving up. It's about doing what Jesus did for you, you would do for others. There is nothing that should divide believers in Jesus Christ. Now, can we disagree? Absolutely. Can I think one thing and you think another? Absolutely. Can I have a particular theological view on something and you have another one? Yes. But if you and I both call Jesus our Savior, we should be unified, even in our disagreements, because that unity is more important than our disagreements. And that's not my opinion. That is everything we are reading. That is wisdom from above. That is Jesus telling his disciples. That is Jesus' prayer. That they may be one, even as you and I, Father, are one. We're definitely called to be wise. You know, the Proverbs is full of a bunch of really great wisdom. General wisdom for life. And there's nothing wrong with that. What you and I need to deal with is how our conduct is either reflecting a selfish ambition, discord, lack of unity, or am I doing everything I can to have peace, to live in such a way that I reflect the Lord Jesus, that we can be one? Because that is determining what wisdom you are acting in. I am acting in. So I have a chance to um, make up for my foolishness. Or, I don't know if make up is the right word, but I have at least a chance to address my foolishness. Um, because I'm going to go to another conference uh, in December where Kevin Miller is the primary speaker, and it's a group of like 25 of us, and he's gonna talk about preaching. And I really need to go talk to Kevin Miller. Um, not for his sake, I doubt he could even care. He is probably humble enough, wise enough to give a rip about what I was thinking. However, I need to. Because it, it wasn't so much that I felt foolish afterwards. It's that as I was sitting there feeling foolish, I realized how selfish I was feeling in that moment. I realized how much I was lifting myself up at the expense of somebody else. I was feeling better about me because I was basically putting him down. You ever done that? And I need to go talk to Kevin Miller and say, dude, you're awesome and I'm not. whatever you've been doing up to this point, can we as a body change by the power of the Holy Spirit 
to begin to seek unity in the way that the scriptures and our Savior call us to. Whatever that means for us, wherever you are, whatever fights or whatever struggles or whatever discord is going on, either in your relationships or in your heart or in your mind, can we look at the wisdom from above? And you know what? Just go home. Look at chapter three and just look at how he describes wisdom from above. Look at all the modifiers and say, can I focus on being that? Because I don't want to be the one that is tearing things apart. I don't want to be the one that's going from the wisdom from down here. I want to be living the wisdom that reflects Jesus, my Savior. And if we all do that together, we can have the oneness that represents our Savior. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son, for the love, for the commitment, for the faithfulness, Lord, that he never once considered waiting for us to make things up, but that he did everything necessary for relationship. Lord, help us to figure out how we love each other in that way, to stop blaming each other, to stop making assumptions about each other, to stop entrenching ourselves where we may be doing that. Lord, help our hearts as we struggle with the issues that may divide us. Help us to be peaceable and gentle and open to wisdom and full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, that we may have the wisdom from above. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen.